Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, um, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 18. And I'm afraid that I'm going to be doing a bit of a mixture of modern and old-fashioned. I've got my Bible. I've got lots of little shreds of paper in it. So there'll be a little bit of flitting of the, of the Bible pages up here. But uh, hopefully you guys can be following on the screens or you can be following from your Bibles. That's fine. We uh, have already heard it this morning that um, we're, we're sort of in a season of giving. Uh, we're in a season where we are leading up to Christmas, where we are sort of having to go out and think very long and hard about the gifts that we are going to be buying people for, for Christmas. And we're going to be thinking long and hard about what we know about these people and um, what they mean to us and what type of gift we would like to get them that will kind of match up with you know, what we really feel towards them. How much do we love them? How much do we care for them? Um, what do we know of them? What do they like? What do they dislike? And so with those gifts in mind, we will then be going away and buying them presents uh, a few or many gifts, um, and then we will be uh, presenting them uh, th- those gifts on Christmas Day. Um, but one of the things that I would like to talk about this morning is is the one of the hardest gifts that we could give to anybody. I mean, a lot of us here sitting here this morning are probably sitting here with a few issues in our hearts um, that we've carried with us maybe for many many years. Uh, we've probably had some uh, offences by people that we know. We have probably been hurt. We've probably been betrayed. There are probably things that people have said and done to us which are potentially really, really wicked or evil. And with those things in mind, we build up these walls around ourselves to protect us. And then the relationships with these people start to suffer. And actually what we become is quite hard-hearted and we find it difficult to forgive. So this morning, I'd just like to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. And I just want to share with you a few of my thoughts, unpack a few things here with a few other scriptures to back it up. And hopefully you'll sort of come away with a bit more of an understanding of what is required with the regards to the topic of forgiving. And especially sort of going away from here this morning, knowing that you can do something about it, that you are released from this, this, um, prison that you have set yourself of, of, of an unforgiving heart. Amen? Okay. So from the book of Matthew, are you with me? Amen. Book of Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. It says, then Peter came to him, that's to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's a lot of times to forgive someone. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Let me just repeat that. 
shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Jesus concluded with these words. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Amen. Let us just bow our heads. Father, we want to thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We pray that, Lord, as we come to unpack this and better understand what this means and how we can apply these principles, these kingdom principles to our lives, we pray that, Lord, you will help us and we pray that you will reach down into our hearts today and that, Lord, any pain, hurt, any unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, anger, anything that is in our hearts, we pray that, Lord, you will start to bring that to the surface this morning and release us in Jesus' name. Well, there's this parable, this, this parable that is, that starts with Peter asking a question, approaching Jesus and, and asking the question, how many times should I forgive someone? Um, it, it kind of concludes with a, with a statement, uh, of almost a statement of faith, really, uh, for, for Jesus, what it's all about. But this parable is, is two dimensional in the way that it is, the, the, that it's presented. The first dimension to this is that it is the gospel. It is the gospel summarized right there in that illustration that Jesus brings. When we think about uh, what the gospel means and, and the cross and the salvation plan for our lives, what this really means, in layman's terms, it is a, it's a debt that we cannot pay. The wages, book of Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin are death. What sort of death are we talking about? Are we talking about physical death? No, we're talking about spiritual death. We're talking about the, the death of our relationship with Christ Jesus and God in heaven. We're talking about eternity. So when the Bible says that, that we have a debt, we have a debt because of the, we're the wages of sin. And we cannot pay that back. So what did God do? The book of John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into this world, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Amen? So one of the things that this parable presents us straight away with is an understanding that we have a debt that we cannot pay back. But Jesus came down into this world. He took on flesh. He was God manifest in flesh on this earth. And he suffered the anger, the wrath, the judgment of God that should have been for you and you and me. Should have been for all of us here sitting here today. But God in his love and mercy for us sent his son in our place to pay the price. And to take that that judgment upon his shoulders. And in doing so, what he's done is present us with a blank check. Amen. And he's saying that it's got your name on it. But there is nothing for you to pay. All you have to do is write down the figure and present it to me when you come to me. Amen. So the first dimension to this parable is that it presents us with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the debt that we cannot pay. But second of all, it kind of deals with an aspect of life which is is the emotional problems or heart problems that we have to deal with as we go through our walk of faith with Christ. And this morning, um, you know, bearing in mind, you know, that it's dealing with heart issues, emotional problems, I believe that there are several things that, that kind of hinder us from being able to forgive people. There are, there are things that as we read the story, uh, from, from, uh, we understand the king, uh, was calling his accounts and he was actually looking to, uh, get his debts in. And when he couldn't get his debts in, he was then merciful in the way that he handled the situation. But there are things that we find in, in life that actually present, uh, prevent us from, um, prevent us from maybe having that forgiving heart in the same way that the king was merciful. We find it difficult to be merciful. We find it difficult to probably be uh, forgiving towards others who have caused us some kind of hurt or offense. And, and actually, 
these are the things that I kind of would like to investigate this morning. The first one being that apologies aren't forthcoming. Amen? Apologies aren't forthcoming. And when we turn to the book of Matthew 18.23, uh, 18.23 to 24, and we read here that the king was actually calling into question, he was calling uh, his accounts up to date. So the king himself was actually looking at what he had spent out and given to his servants, and he was actually asking for those, those, that money back again. But it was a moment where the king had to take the first step, and he had to say, well, where's my money? And using the metaphor of money, we'll stick with this metaphor throughout this, but he was waiting for the servants to approach him with a, with an apology, with a sorry, I can't pay, I'm, I'm, you know, unable to pay this. But the Bible doesn't co- recall here that there was any attempts at apologies or any sort of a request for forgiveness for what they had done. It was only when the king had taken the first step that the, that the servant was able to seek forgiveness. And so many of us sit here this morning that we've probably got some problems in our, in our hearts, but we are unable to find ourselves willing to forgive because we've set in our minds that we are only going to forgive when someone apologizes. And we find that we sit there, uh, or not sit, stand, walk, however we find ourselves in life, <laughs> but we actually find that we start stockpiling all the wrongs that someone has done to us. And we actually start sort of keeping account of all the things that they've said and done. And lo and behold, if you get into a heated debate with them, you start to recall all the things that they've done wrong. And one of the things that I was advised by, by uh, you know, a good friend of mine when, when I got married, he said, I will, I will give you a bit of advice, some words that you must never say, ever say, no matter how you feel, when you get into a bit of a heated debate with your wife. He said, never, ever say the words, and you always, <laughs> amen, and you always. Because the problem with those few words is that they are a trigger point for recounting all the wrongs and all the hurts and all the offenses that someone has done to you or a group of people have done to you in your life. And actually what you can do is you can stir up all those those negative emotions, all those negative feelings, and before you know it, rather than speaking words of life into someone's life, you're bringing words of death. You're putting them down. You're, you're, you're condemning them. You're telling them how worthless they are, what, what tragedy they bring to your life. And before you know it, you're building those little building blocks around your heart and you're building more walls between you and them. Um, I just want to share with you a little story. Um, and, and it's a story from, from my life, from my journey, really. And um, it, it kind of begins from around about the time that I was born, <laughs> as do most uh, life stories. <laughs> Couldn't have it any other way, really, could we? <laughs> but um, <clears throat> with, the, with this recount, I didn't have exactly the, mo- the easiest of upbringings. And, and one of the, the problems that I had was that I, um, my, I don't want to say too much because it's quite, uh, it's, it's quite a sensitive matter, but I did want to share with you to illustrate how, how we build up in our hearts these problems with, with actually finding it in ourselves to forgive people. And um, as I was growing up, my parents used to fight a lot, and they used to argue a lot. And sometimes those arguments and those fights became quite aggressive. And it was not that, it was mostly my mother, bless her, who used to instigate a lot of these problems and a lot of these, tr- these troubles. And I, I often remember when, when I was uh, younger, I, we had these mittens and uh, they were like knitted mittens. They had no fingers in them. And I used to put them on. And to me, they represented boxing gloves. You know, I'm at the age of five six years old, and I've got these woolen mittens that, that wouldn't be able to punch a hole in a snowball, let alone anything else. Um, but I put these mittens on, and, and I stood on the stairs, 
And my, my brothers and sisters, I would herd them out from the living room or take them upstairs and keep them out of the way. And sometimes these fights between my parents would, would get quite aggressive. And my mom would start to grab knives and she would start to become quite, uh, quite aggressive in the way that she would taunt and attack my father. And, and I used to stand on the stairs and I used to have such hatred for what was going on, such anger for what was happening in our family. And I had no control over what was going on. I couldn't, as much as I would have wanted to and tried to protect my brothers and sisters, I couldn't, really. But the problem is that as we grow up, if we don't start to unfold and undo those things in our hearts and let God take care of them, the problem is that we start to develop a hard heart. And with those issues, we start to separate ourselves from the very people that God has brought into our lives. And the, the problems and the concerns that, 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 um, that they have and the way that they try and live their life and do the best that they can with the limited resources that they can, we don't see those things. But actually from the little boy that I used to be, and sitting on the stairs, hearing all the shouting, the screaming, and, and, and the arguing. You know, I used to find it very difficult to find love towards my mum and my dad. And I tried very, very hard as I grew up to love them. And my dad did some amazing things that he, unfortunately, the family separated and my mum and dad separated and my dad took some of us away and we went to live with our grandparents. And I thank God for that stability in my life because all of a sudden, up until the age of seven, I'd never been to school, not properly. I'd had a few days here and there, but I'd never really been to school. And I'd never really had stability with friends, with family members, with any of these things. My dad brought that stability the best he could, but he had to work. And it was only when my grandparents stepped in that they were able to offer that stability that we so needed as children. And as I grew up, I started to understand some of the issues that my dad faced as he was trying to deal with his circumstances with the family. But it wasn't until I was a parent, until I was a dad, that I started to see things through my father's eyes. The responsibility of looking after a child, the responsibility of trying to make decisions for that child, the responsibility of trying to do what is right so that I get a balance between putting food on the table and a roof over their heads, but at the same time instilling value and appreciation and good manners into their lives. And so I found myself starting to realize that my dad had a really tricky situation. But by this time, I was in my mid-twenties. And my relationship with my father was very, very, very difficult, or at least it felt that way to me. And I found it extremely difficult to forgive for everything that I'd experienced and seen and heard and witnessed as a young boy. Now, my, my upbringing is certainly by no means a tragedy compared to others. Some people have probably had worse uh, upbringings than I've had. They probably got uh, a lot more sob stories than, than I probably got. I should probably go on X Factor, actually, considering uh, the, the sob story. I need to learn to sing, and then I can go on X Factor and bring some of my sob stories out on X Factor. Yeah, it's because my dad, you know, he didn't. Anyway, so... <laughs> Up until my mid-twenties, I hadn't really dealt with any of my issues with regards to my family. I'd kind of painted over the surface. And when I came to Christ, it was very much the same sort of thing. That I started to paint a whitewash, because it's the color of holiness, a whitewash over my, over my life. And I started to think that, okay, that's fine. That's my, that's my past life. I've been resurrected in Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation. All old things have passed away and I'm new. But the next time I get into a tricky situation, what happens? All of a sudden, my anger surfaces. My frustration surfaces. My foul words surface. 
And all of a sudden, I start spewing all these things into people's lives around me because I haven't dealt with the very issue that is at the core of causing all the problems. And that's my unforgiveness. And the thing is that at that particular, you know, at, that, at those times in our lives, especially, um, we, we need to, we need to stop, pause and think, why is it that I'm finding it so difficult to forgive my family members? Why is it I'm so, finding it so difficult to forgive this friend? Why am I finding it so difficult to forgive this person who is, I've only just met? Why am I finding it so difficult to forgive and move on? They probably don't even know they've offended you. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> they probably don't even know they've offended you. They are probably dealing with their circumstances, dealing with things to the best of their abilities, trying to live out their day-to-day life, trying to make the best decisions that they can make. And the whole time they are trying to balance the relationships with you and their friends and their family in the same way that you are trying to do the same things. And what happens is we get caught up in the crossfire. And so they themselves may not even be aware that they have offended you. Now, sometimes what can happen is people can purposely offend you. And that is a a matter where you need to very find it in your heart to be able to have the boldness and the courage to speak to them directly. But we'll save that for another day. But the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 37. And it talks here about having a, a judging heart. And it warns us of the dangers here. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. But forgive and you will be forgiven. Amen? Simple kingdom principle. The problem is that we don't dig deep enough sometimes. We scratch on the surface of our forgiveness. We scratch on the surface of of our relationships with people, but we don't dig down into the deep heart issues that you yourself have. And when it comes to forgiving, you don't forgive, you forget. And by forgetting... You are just going to have a moment where in the future you're going to remember and you're going to start recounting all the issues. If somebody hurts us or wrongs us, one of the things that I wasn't aware of as I was growing up as a child, but one of the things that I've suddenly come to realize when I came to Christ was that God is our hiding place. He is our fortress. And if we look at the book of Psalms 31, verses 1 to 2, It says here in the book of Psalms, in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never put to shame. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue and be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. As we go through our pain, we need a hiding place. And Jesus is crying out and saying, Come to me. Come to me. There's that verse that we hear about and we know about. Come to me, all ye who are weary and laden, and I shall give you rest. Amen. He doesn't say go down to the local bar. He doesn't say go down to your neighbor's house and sit there and drink whiskey. He doesn't say go over to this place and slander your friend and backbite and do all the chit-chat. Don't gossip. But he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and laden, and I shall give you rest. And in this psalm, again, he illustrates himself. The psalmist illustrates God as a fortress, a hiding place. Somewhere where you can come in and hide. And the fortress around you protects you, shields you from what is hurting you and harming you. It becomes a place of solitude. It becomes a place where you can really become intimate with God. And you can exchange with God. These are my hurts. These are my worries. These are my pains. These are the things that have done have been done wrong. And these are the things that I can't get my head around. These are the issues that people keep repeating in my life. Why can't I move past? And you bring your problems to Christ. And Christ will take them on him. And he will exchange his burden for your burden. Amen.
My second point this morning is why we find it so difficult to probably forgive and why we find it so hard to forgive people is that it simply doesn't feel fair. If somebody has offended me, if they've upset me, if they've hurt me, why should I forgive them? Why? If we go back to the scripture that we're reading this morning from the book of Matthew 18, we'll look at verse 27. It says here, then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and he forgave his debt. Up until that point, the master had an agenda. The king had an agenda and that was that he was going to call his debt in. And he was going to say, I've taken stock of everything this servant owes me, and this servant owes me X, Y, and Z. But as soon as he spoke with the servant, and the servant pleaded, the king was moved with compassion. And what we know from the Bible is that compassion or pity is an understanding of someone's situation. It is feeling a sense of love towards that person because of their circumstance. Amen? And when we start to feel love towards someone, in spite of their situation, we do the unthinkable. Amen? And when we start to do the unthinkable, we start to do things that even would defy our own logic. The king was owed millions of dollars. And yet, he forgave him, wiped the slate clean, and said to him, Forget it. It's paid. Don't worry about it. Just carry on. Christ Jesus did exactly the same for us. Amen? He paid the price on the cross. He paid with his blood. And all of a sudden, no judgment, no anger, no wrath of God is heaped on our shoulders because of the things that we've done and continue to do wrong in life. But we are forgiven. We're given a clean slate. A a blank check, and we're told, you're free to go. Amen? So the king was moved by compassion, and he did what seemed unthinkable. The problem is that sometimes when we are wronged, we tend to want justice. And we want justice our way, not God's way. We tend to look at the, the, the situation, we tend to look at what people have done and said, and the things that they've done to us, and we start to build up in our minds in accordance with the laws of this land and other lands, and we start to say, this person deserves to be treated like this. If we're in other countries, if we're in some of the the other countries around the world, the way that they carry out justice is slightly different to the way that we carry out justice in this country. And actually, when you look at the laws of this, of this land, some of the justice uh, system um, uh, laws that we have in this country are different to the way that God does things. So although in our minds, in our bodies, in our, in our hearts, we desire justice our way, but God's justice is, bit, is a bit different because we know that uh, there will become a judgment day And there will come a time where everyone's actions, everyone's thoughts, everyone's, uh, all all the things that we've done in life, all the choices that we've made, they will be called into question. And for those who do not know Christ Jesus on that day, they will have a different kind of judgment. They will have a judgment that says, you did not, uh, you did not know me and I did not know you. And so they will have a different type of penalty than those who profess Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and live out their life, trying to fulfil God's will for their life. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 13, we find here that the Bible encourages us to actually make allowances for other people's mistakes. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Amen? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So here we have it again. Forgiveness 
doesn't just pertain to the issues and the emotional problems of the heart, but it brings you right back to the cross. That what Jesus did for us on the cross, the gift that we, that we received, the Bible says, freely you receive, freely you give. So just as you have received that, that gift of salvation and forgiveness from God, you need to search your hearts and I need to search mine continuously. And you need to learn to forgive others as God forgave you. Amen. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 31 to 32, it says, Get rid of all anger, sorry, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. These are the issues, these are the emotions that build up in our hearts. The instruction continues, be kind. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Although it feels unfair, although it seems like it is wrong, that it's an injustice for you to forgive, actually, the Bible, the very word of God, encourages us to forgive others. It is a direct instruction from the word of God, forgive other people. We said at the very beginning that one of the things that we are waiting for is an apology. If we're not careful, we start dispensing our forgiveness. We start dispensing our our grace, if we can call it that. We dispense it conditionally. We start putting conditions and hurdles in the way and say, well, actually, if this person fulfills this, if they jump through this hurdle and they do this and they say this and then they do that and then they do this and then they go here and then they go there and then they do, then I might forgive them. But Jesus says none of that. He simply says, just as God forgave you, you forgive. Amen. So we don't need to be putting conditions in the way. We don't need to be creating hurdles in order for us to, to feel like we've accomplished something. But actually, Jesus had already accomplished it for us through his blood. And what he's doing is he's passing that gift from, from, from heaven down to earth. And then we're supposed to pass that gift from person to person to person to person so everybody experiences a little touch of God in their life, a little touch of heaven right there in that situation. That just as the king was moved by compassion and moved by pity because of the situation, the circumstance of that servant, we should also have compassion and pity upon people who find themselves in difficult situations. Now, many of you know that I I, um, do the cap money, and through the many uh, months and years that I've done it, I've met some various different people who have come from all walks of life. And sometimes they they, uh, have some very difficult financial circumstances. And it's only when they start digging beneath the surface that they start to find the trouble and the problems of their finances and why they cannot do certain things in their life, that it hinders their progress, not because they're not earning enough, but simply because they've scratched beneath the surface and they found all the problems in their finances. And it's only when you start digging beneath the surface that it actually starts to get a little messy and you start to uncover things. People start to, you find that people start spending money because they have got some emotional problems. They go shopping with a credit card because they need to fulfill a a hole, a gap that is missing in their lives. And the part of the problem is with that is that they haven't learned to forgive someone. They haven't learned to truly let go of what has happened to them. They haven't had that dialogue, that conversation with someone that allows them to let it be and move on. Amen? And so what we can actually do is we can find ourselves actually looking at our lives and our relationship with God and we start to become angry and frustrated with God because this isn't working out and that's not working out and my friendships are not working out and my relationships aren't working out. Why? Because you haven't got to the real root of the problem which is the unforgiveness that sits in your heart that you have not dealt with from the day that you got saved. 
And if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't been saved, then I pray that God will touch you this morning and reveal to you in your heart the things, the issues that hold you back with friendships and relationships. And the biggest relationship of all is that with your heavenly Father, Christ Jesus. Amen. The third reason what I feel that is a, is a reason as to why we find it difficult to forgive is that we just don't fulfill this enough. And that is the instruction to love thy enemy. If we go back to the book of Matthew 18.33, it says here, the king speaks to the servant now. He's angry. The king is, the king is angry. He's heard what the servant has been doing. He's angered by, by the fact that he had mercy on this servant, but the servant then went around calling in all the other debts that were owed to him. So he was very unmerciful. And the king was angry. And he says to him, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? So that, where was the love, if I can use that phrase? Where was the love? You know? The king's there going, don't worry about it. It's just a few million pounds. I've got plenty more in the bank. Just walk away, have a good time, serve me, carry on serving. But actually what was, what was happening there was that the king was moved by compassion and he was showing love. He was showing love for his fellow man, for his fellow brethren. Even though this guy was a servant of the king, he still had a love for that servant. And in the same way, the Bible encourages us time and time again to love people. Love people. What does it mean to love people? It means that in spite of what they say, in spite of what they do, in spite of all the things that they do against you, you still love them and treat them the way that Christ treats you. That's what love is. It's not love isn't conditional. Love isn't that if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If you say a few nice things to me and big me up a little bit, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll beg you up as well. That's not love. That's bribery. Real love is in spite of what people say and do against you. You still find it in your heart to forgive them and to move on. Amen? Quite simply, when we look at the book of Luke, chapter 6, and we're here in a different verse this time, 27 to 29. But I tell you, these are the words of Jesus, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, direct instruction, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, Turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. You go one step further than what people would expect. The world says an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, if you beat me on the cheek, I'll give you the other one. Kind of defies our logic really, doesn't it? You know, stab me in this side. There you go. There we go. Stab me in that side. <laughs> what does it really mean? What that means is that in our hearts, we find it in our hearts to go one step further than treating someone the way that they treat you. The love of God that is, that has been dispensed upon your life, the grace that you experience, the mercies that you experience, the favor that you have in your life because of what Christ did for you on the cross is the same grace, mercy, and forgiveness that you should be dispensing to other people. So much so that we should be going one step further than what the world says that we should be doing. Yes? Why did you do that? Why did you give him your coat? Well, because he offended me. And he asked me for my, my shirt, so I gave him my coat and my trousers, and now I'm cold. <laughs> do you have a coat? <laughs> Truth is that we simply don't love 
people enough. And that's just a truth. That is just a simple human condition. It's a truth. We start becoming conditional with the way that we dispense our graces and our forgiveness and our love. And we start saying that we're only going to do it for this group of people over here because they're always nice to me. We're only going to do it to these people over here on a Tuesday because that's when I get free food. So we become conditional with the way that we dispense our love and our graces and our forgiveness and the way that we treat people. But if we turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, Verse 8, and again, I know there's quite a few scriptures here, I apologize, but I just want to show you the weight of what is repeated in the Bible. It's repeated and repeated and repeated. Above all, this is Peter, the same Peter that we read about, that asked Jesus this very question at the beginning of the scripture. Peter says here, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Who's perfect here? I want to see a raising of hands. Come on, there's got to be one. No? No one's perfect except Jesus. Except our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we sit here today because we are not perfect. We sit here because we know we need the love of God to cover the multitude of sins that are in our hearts. And uh, trust me, whatever you've done last week and you've sort of come here today and you walk away and you've made all these promises to God, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. I promise I'm never... Okay, maybe just one more time. But God's love covers a multitude of sins. And the way that he covers our sins in our life is the way that we should be covering our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our cousins and our aunts and our grands and how many other relatives do we have? And people that we don't know. The way that God loves you and he loves you with an immense love. An immense love. It's so huge, it is indescribable how much he loves you. He loves you to the point that he would step down from heaven. That he would come down and clothe himself in our flesh. You see, if you want to borrow anything, you don't need a shirt and a tunic. You need to borrow the flesh of God. He clothed himself in human flesh and he stepped down onto this world and he paid the price for our sin. He covered us with his love. What was due to us was paid by Jesus. And we need to be reminded of this from time to time. Sometimes these issues, this issue of unforgiveness, it's a a theme that runs from cover to cover through the Bible. It is the the spine of everything that goes on in in Scripture. Forgiveness. We are forgiven. We should forgive. It is the spine of our faith. It is the bedrock of everything we believe because of what Christ accomplished. So when we actually think about love and what it means, we should be loving people in spite of what they do, in spite of what they say. We shouldn't be treating them any different to the way that Christ Jesus treats us. It's difficult. It's hard. It's strangely odd at the the best of times. But the one thing that you realize about this direct instruction, this kingdom principle, it is that you cannot do it by yourself. It's impossible. What you need to do is you need to call on the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that he's going to, when he was departing, he was going to leave behind a counselor or comforter. Why a comforter? Why a counselor? Because he knew that there were going to be issues and problems and there was going to be fallout that follows. When you get saved, you are now a new creation. But there is always going to be the issues that follow that start to unfold because the flesh is always at war with the spirit. And when the spirit in you says, God is asking me to do this, your flesh says, no, 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 come back here, come back here. You ain't going anywhere. 
you're going to do what you're used to doing and you're going to respond the same way that you've always responded. You ain't going anywhere. The flesh should be weak and the spirit willing. In if we flip that scripture around for this moment in time. The flesh should be weak and the spirit should be willing. We're going over here because this is what God wants me to do. So when you do, when you realize that you, you have these issues in your heart, you have unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, anger towards an individual, towards a group of people, towards family, towards friends, anyone. When you cannot find it in yourself to forgive someone, you need to realize that you need the Holy Spirit. You need to ask and pray and invite God into your situation, into your circumstance. And you need to learn and ask God to help you to love because God is love. God is love. And when you pray and you ask God, can I love this person? Can I just love them to death? You know, all of a sudden you find yourself doing the unthinkable. You find yourself doing things that you really didn't think were possible. Before I close out, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. What it means is learning to be wise. Okay? We don't become foolish when we forgive people and repeat the same mistakes and let people treat us the same way that they've always treated us. Actually, one of the things that we need to do, and it's professed here in in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 7, is that we need to get a little bit of wisdom. It says here that wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Amen? So don't become foolish just because you are learning to forgive someone along the way, along the the journey that God has got for you and the path that God is bringing you down. Don't become foolish and allow people to repeat the same things in your life. There's a a, um, preacher's story, which I've heard a few times. You've probably heard it as well, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a little old lady sitting on the front of of a church, and the preacher's a little bit animated. Bit my like bit like me today actually, um, a little bit animated. And when he would sort of get a bit excited, he'd be preaching and waving his arms around, you know, yeah, like this. And all of a sudden, one meeting, he booted this lady, bang, right in the foot. Do you know that little old lady? She forgave him. She forgave him. But the very next meeting where he was preaching, she was at the back. <laughs> she was at the back. She was as far away from him as she could get because she just didn't want him to get anywhere near her. You see, she got a little bit of wisdom that day. She wasn't a fool. So forgiving doesn't mean that you you become foolish and you just let people walk all over you. Far from it. You learn from what has happened and you learn to respect people and situations. Get some wisdom. It's a kingdom principle. Amen? Just very quickly, before I close out, the consequence of unforgiveness is the flip side to everything that we've talked about. When we look at what was happening with the king and the servant, the servant found it not in his heart to forgive and to allow his debts to be wiped clean with other servants. What happened was he was then taken away. The king became angry with him and he was taken away and put into prison and tortured. How many of us here sitting here this morning can honestly, truthfully say that we feel in our hearts that we are imprisoned because of the emotions, because of the hurt, because of the pain, because of the torment of what happened to us Weeks ago, days ago, months ago, years ago, a decade ago, century ago. So the consequences to the unforgiveness, if you continue to not find it in yourself to forgive, the consequence of unforgiveness is that you torment yourself. 
you relive the problem and you relive that issue with that same person again and again and again and again and you never move past it. In the meantime, that person has probably graduated, they've gone on to get a new job, they've probably got a really nice car, they've probably got a really nice relationship with people, they've probably got tons of friends, um, probably. It's a bit of an exaggerated illustration here, but you get the picture. They've moved on. Because they weren't aware that they had probably offended you. But all of a sudden, rather than dealing with your unforgiveness, you've decided to allow it into your life, into your heart, and you're allowing it to torment you. And just like this servant, if you don't treat others with the way that God has treated you, then you will find torment and, and bitterness and rage and anger and fear and anxiety. And all of these things start to creep into your heart. And you're making room for these emotions. You're making room for these negative things to eat away at your very, very soul. Amen? Well, I know that was awful lot for you, you guys to digest. I know there was a lot there that we covered. But I hope that you get a bit of an understanding here that the hardest gift for us to give is the gift of forgiveness. We, we find it difficult to forgive people because of apologies that aren't forthcoming. We find it difficult because we look at it and we say it just simply isn't fair. But God expects it. It's a kingdom principle. And thirdly, we need to love thy enemy. Loving leads to forgiveness. And we just close out with this scripture here. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. It's from the very well-known uh, part of scripture that talks about love. 13, 4, 7. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable despite when Spurs lose. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Here we have it again. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it is always enduring through every circumstance. Every single circumstance. Whatever you are going through this morning, Whatever you have gone through for your whole life, God knows. God knows. Amen? Why don't we just stand to our feet? Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.